Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Brittany taught from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, examining how understanding the law from the new perspective Jesus offers brings grace and freedom. All right, good morning, people. Uh, if you want to grab your Bibles, if you are someone that needs a little bit of time to open and look in your table of contents, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, so you can start flipping over. Um, but I want to start with a question. That is pretty rhetorical because you're all going to raise your hand. How many of you as an adult have had a moment where you look back at something your parents once told you or forced you to do or forced you to not do, and as an adult, you see really clearly why they did that, right? At the time when you're maybe a teenager, it seems absolutely ridiculous, and yet as an adult, you look back and you're like, man, I really get it now. I feel like I can think of so many examples from my childhood of things that my mom told me to do or told me to not do that in the moment I felt like, gosh, she's so oppressive. I live under this, like, in this communist home with this oppressive regime, right? When really she wanted me to turn the lights off so that the electricity bill wasn't through the roof. Now as an adult, I'm chasing my husband around the house, flipping the light switches off because the electricity bill gets through the roof, right? There are certain things that happen when we're young and inexperienced and immature that we don't really see the full weight of until we grow up a little bit. And we can look back and see like, oh, maybe I misunderstood something that was actually really good for me, right? I feel like, excuse me, I have a lingering cough, so I'm going to cough a bunch of times. I feel like one of the things that was true of that for me was, um, for example, with money. I feel like from a young age, my mom taught me when I make money, I save part of it, I tithe part of it, and then I spend the part of it that's left. Thank you. I spend the part of it that's left. When I was young and I got Christmas money, I'm like, why do I have to tithe and save? These things felt like, why do I have to do these things? But when I was in my early 20s and my friends were struggling with figuring out how do I deal with money, I just did it out of habit. It was something that was just a habit in my life that was formed that I then started to realize, oh, what a gift to be trained in how to use money from a young age when I didn't get it. For me, what had started as a rule became a rhythm, which eventually became freedom, right? It started as a rule. It then became a rhythm as I practiced it regularly. And then when I had some maturity and some experience, I was able to realize that it gave me freedom from the weight of debt and not feeling like I knew how to handle money. And so rules can become rhythms, which can actually lead to freedom. But when it's just a rule in our mind, It feels like restriction, right? It feels like something is being withheld from us. It feels like we're not free. You you think when you're 16, all you want to do is move out. And then you move out and you're like, no, I wish my parents were paying my rent and the food, there was food in the fridge and I got home and dinner was ready. Now you have to do it all, right? It changes with maturity and experience. Last week, we started a new series called The Greater Reward as we're going through the season of Lent, looking toward Easter, this idea that Jesus is the greater reward. We're looking in in Luke, and particularly in chapter 6, how Jesus kind of comes on scene and he changes the way they see things, changes the way that they understand things. We're going to unpack a bit of that this morning um, in the beginning of Luke Luke chapter 6. We looked at last week and what we'll see again this week and time and time again throughout this series is that as humans, we tend to see things like children. We tend to see things in a very short-sighted way. 
We tend to see things with very little experience and maturity. For some of us, your immediate response is, I'm mature and experienced. I have a lot of life experience. You don't know what I've been through. I'm very mature. In comparison to most humans, that might be true. In comparison to the God of the universe who has existed before time, it's not so true, right? We're not that experienced. We're not that mature. We still see things through such a narrow understanding because all we have is our own frame of reference. As we go in maturity and as we grow in understanding who God is, we learn to trust him a little bit more. We learn that maybe the things that he calls us to and the, the things that he calls us to stay away from, maybe, <clears throat> maybe they're not arbitrary. Maybe they're not because he loves rules. Maybe they're not because he's a killjoy. Maybe it's not because he's withholding good things from us until we get our act together. Maybe, just maybe, it's because he's a loving, gracious, good father who knows his kids and is training us and teaching us. And what might start as rules become rhythms which lead to freedom. What I hope that we see today through looking at Jesus' treatment of the Sabbath is that there is a greater reward that is so much bigger than religion. This word religion gets a bad rap. A lot of people, you know, there was like a big push for a while to be like, oh, I'm not religious. I have a relationship with Jesus. At a certain point, we're splitting hairs, right? We're just using words kind of flippantly. But when I say religion, Jesus is more than religion. What I mean is a list of do's and don'ts, a a pros and cons, a way I'm going to live my life and a way that I'm not going to live my life because I've said yes to this belief set. It is all of that, but for so much more purpose. And so I want us to see that there is a greater reward that's bigger than rules. It's bigger than to-do lists and to-don't lists. And so this morning, if you're here and you have felt burnt out on religion, if you come here with, with a view of the church or a view of what it looks like to follow Jesus, that is just a big list of to-dos and to-don'ts. What I hope that you see this morning is the heart of the Father who made you and loves you. If you're coming here this morning and you're like, I love the rules. I'm good at the rules. I know exactly why we do the rules. I just, I want all of the rules all of the time. What I hope that you see this morning is that rules aren't enough. They are the shadow of the gift, but they're not the gift. And so I hope for all of us, as we start to talk a little bit, get a little bit nerdy this morning, if you'll let me, and talk a little bit about the law, which feels like I'm going to start yawning, I hope that we all stay engaged because there's something for each of us no matter where we are in our journey of understanding the heart of our Father. And so let's turn to Luke 6. If you have paper Bibles, go to past the middle and then look for a bunch of men's names. Luke's in there. Um, For the rest of you, it's on the screen, so you can cheat and look up there. But we're going to read the passage. And my hope is that when we read this, they're not my hope. This is not my hope. My expectation is that we read this, and maybe when we get to the end, you're like, this said nothing to me. And that's okay, because we're going to unpack it together. So let's read the passage. It says, On a Sabbath, when he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? 
he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they, the Pharisees, were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. We're going to get nerdy for a second. Bear with me. We're going to circle back to how this actually addresses your own life. But we're going to jump into the Bible for a minute. Because if you read this as we read it and you're like, okay, so note to self, don't pluck grain on Sundays and don't heal shriveled hands on Sundays. Deal. We could all leave and feel pretty confident that we can keep those laws, right? We're going to unpack this to really see what Jesus is doing because we need to see what Jesus is doing in order to bring it into our context and figure out what that means for us today. So one of the things that I want us to point out is that this is a narrative passage. The Gospels are narrative literature. They're telling a story with a purpose. There's a reason that Luke is telling this story in the way he's telling the story, in the order he's telling the story. So we want to look at this as a story. For any of you, if you can remember way back into your English classes when you would be reading a book for school, you would never jump into the book at chapter 6, right, and read a paragraph and be like, okay, so John said this to Sally about this. I don't know who John is, I don't know who Sally is, and I don't know what that means, right? And yet we do this often with the Bible. We open, we just pick a passage, and then we read it, and we try to figure out what it's saying. We need to take a step back and look at the whole picture, And so I want to break it down a little bit. When we look at a narrative passage, we want to understand the context by doing a few things. We have characters in this this story. The main characters I want us to, to highlight is Jesus and these Pharisees. Two characters, Jesus and the Pharisees. Of course the disciples are there. Of course the crowds are there. Of course the man with the withered hand is there. We're going to look at Jesus and the Pharisees. Because the majority of the dialogue and the, and the, and the conflict exists between these two characters. So Jesus, at this time, Jesus is a man who has shown up and is teaching in the synagogues. And in chapter 4, it says that when he would teach in the synagogues, they were astonished because he spoke with authority. People are taking note of the way that he's teaching, that it's not like how other people teach, that there's something different about him, that the authority with which he speaks, they take note of. He's also a man who's going around and healing people that not only can other people not heal, but other people won't even go near. He's engaging with people who've been outcasts, and he's not just engaging with them, he's then speaking healing over them, and they're healed. This is who Jesus in chapter 6 is. The people around, the crowds, they show up to watch him, because wouldn't you? If you heard that someone walked up to a man with leprosy and said, be healed, and all of a sudden he was healed, you might show up. So people are around, they're taking note. 
the religious leaders are watching that he's doing miracles. There's no doubt about it. They're watching that he's teaching in the synagogues with some authority that makes them take note. And so they're present and they're curious. This is the Jesus that we know is, is, is present right now. Now the Pharisees. I just want to start off by saying, if you've been in church for any amount of time, Pharisee equals bad guy, right? When we read these stories, we have such, we have this, if you've grown up in the church, you knew when you were a little kid, like, the Pharisees were the bad guys. I want to give the Pharisees a little bit of a break for a second. The Pharisees were doing what they knew. They were doing what they were taught. And, and, and their delivery was pretty terrible a lot of the time, but the heart behind it wasn't always bad. I want to talk about who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were a religious sect of Judaism who had become pretty obsessed with the strict, strict, strict keeping of the law. To them, the most important thing was that we keep God's law at every single point. And so they were almost like the referees walking around with whistles, blowing the whistle when anyone maybe sort of kind of violated any part of the law. The heart behind that is to keep God's law. The problem is, is by the time the Pharisees are on the scene, God's law has become so distorted that they're enforcing things that they really shouldn't be enforcing. Are you guys staying with me so far? It's real quiet out there. All right. So we've got these Pharisees who are really strict about keeping the law. We've got this Jesus who everyone's taking note of, and they're watching him and curious what is this guy all about? Could, could this be the promised Messiah? Could this possibly be a really gifted teacher, a miracle worker? We're not sure. Here are our two characters. There's a couple of other things that we need to stay nerdy about for a minute because we need to understand them. Two words that should stand out to you. When you're reading the Bible, when there are repeated words, you should take note of those words. If you're someone who wants to understand the Bible more and you want to get a little nerdy in your studying, when you see words like Sabbath appear seven times in two paragraphs, highlight that, circle it, underline it, go look in your concordance, what is the Sabbath? Look at the cross-references, figure out what that means. I'm going to do all of that work for you right now in like one minute. The Sabbath, uh, in Exodus, I think we have Exodus 20 um, on the screen. In Exodus 20, when, uh, for those of you that don't know, there's a nation of Israel, and, and God, the, God chooses them as his people, and he says, through you I'm going to make myself known to all the other nations. Through the nation of Israel, I'm going to show who I am to the world, and through you I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to bring a promised Messiah who's going to save the world. All of this stuff happens that we don't have time to dig into. But you guys are all familiar with Moses. Everyone knows who Moses is. If you don't know who Moses is, he's that guy that parted the Red Sea and the Prince of Egypt. You remember? Moses goes and God gives him the law. He says, I'm going to make for myself a people. And because he loves his people, he's going to tell his people exactly what they need to know to stay close to him and to stay away from sin. And so he gives them the Ten Commandments, right? Most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. Moses gets the Ten Commandments from God. It's very easy, if we have the wrong understanding of who God is, if we have the wrong understanding of what religion is, to think that the Ten Commandments were ten rules given that if you don't follow these rules, I will smite you and you will die. Right? But we want to twist that filter to the heart of a father. 
who says, I have chosen a people for myself. And so I know that what is best for you is to be in relationship with me. You were made for a relationship with me. And so because I love you, I'm going to give you guidelines of how you can stay close to me. And you know what's really bad for you? Sin. And so I'm going to tell you what that is so that you can be clear on how to stay away from it. If you were married and your spouse said, I want you to guess how to love me well, I'm not going to tell you. You'd be like, I don't know, like, do, do, you, do you like flowers? Do you not like flowers? Do you, like, how beautiful is it when you have a clear communication with your spouse where you can say, hey, just so you know, this is how I need to be loved. Hey, just so you know, like, these are the things that make me stay close to you, that keep my heart tethered to yours. That's beautiful. That doesn't sound like you're giving me rules on how I need to love you. That sounds like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for telling me so that I can do it without trying to play, do the guessing work, right? It's this beautiful picture of God interacting with his people and saying, here is how you can have all of the things that are best for you and stay away from all of the things that are going to harm you. That's a different picture of the law, right? That's a beautiful picture of the law of a father who wants to teach his children how to, ha- how to be the best versions of humans by being in relationship with him. So in Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We know the story of creation. God created the earth in six days and then on the seventh day he rested. All kinds of ancient civilizations have their own creation story. Not one of them does their God model for them that they are allowed to rest. Not only should they rest, but God himself rested and invites us into that. All of the other ancient civilizations with creation stories, it was you work hard and you earn my favor. You work hard and that is it. And God not only invites us and offers us rest, he models it for us. So one of the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, comes before do not kill, comes before that, is God says, here's the thing. I want you to build into the rhythm of your life rest. Not because there are all of these rules of what you're not allowed to do that day, right? But because I, I know what's best for you and you need time and space with me. And you need to see how I can do more in your doing nothing than you can do in all of your striving. And so I invite you to lay down work on the seventh day and watch me provide for you. Draw near to me and see how much more I can do for you than you can do for yourself. It's an invitation. It is a gift that Yahweh gives his people. Right? So what happens? Okay, it's going to get a little more nerdy, and then it's going to get not nerdy, I promise. Fast forward. I'm going to give you, like, way Cliff's Notes version of the whole Bible. Fast forward. Israel does not follow God's laws, right? They 
don't do all of the thing that, things that he invites them to do. And they run to all of the things that he says to stay away from. And as a result, their hearts are corrupted. Their lives are corrupted. They end up so far from God. And he ends up giving them exactly what they wanted, which is not him. And he lets them be taken captive by foreign nations. And the nation of Israel is taken away from their promised land and they're made slaves in another land. During this time, what happens is we have the Old Testament and the New Testament and there's all this time in between them. I'm going to tell you what happens in between them in one minute. What happens during that time is they're exiles and they're captives and some of them realize, oh, the problem is we stopped obeying God's laws. And so now we're going to get real strict on this thing. No one is allowed to disobey God's laws. And so they start being really tight and enforcing all of the rules in hopes that the God that they've been told about from way back when with Israel might give them the favor they once had in hopes that the nation of Israel would be returned to its former glory. The time when they were a major power and they were wealthy and they were victorious. And they're like, we want to get back to being that nation. And so the way that we get there is by following the rules. So now the point of everything is going to be these rules. During this time is when the Pharisees become a sect. And they decide that because we so desperately need to keep the rules in order to earn the favor of this God and become as glorious as we were before, we're going to now build fences around the law. Here's what that means. You're not, I want you to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy and don't work as a way to model the way that I rest. And here's what happens. Well, what does work mean? Well, you can't hammer anything. Okay. Yes, but picking up the hammer might be work. Okay, so no picking up hammers. What else? Okay, well, uh, you can eat, but you can't pluck the grain and thresh it in your hands and then eat it. Okay, so no plucking grain. Do you see how it builds? The heart of it is to keep the law, to keep the law, and yet they build and build and build around it to protect it. To give the Pharisees a bit of credit, that's not always a bad thing. We do that, right? We encourage each other to do that. We know that we really don't want to, we're prone to wander in this way, and so we put in some safeguards of, this is a temptation for me, so I'm not even going to go here, right? We do that. It's not always bad. The problem is always the heart. The heart was not, I want to stay close to God. The heart was, was lost of, we're God's people and we're created to be in communion with him. The heart was, how do we get our act together to earn the favor of God to be restored to our former glory? Do you see the difference? I don't know where I am. So the religious leaders have taken it to the extreme. They've added to the law all kinds of things, becoming obsessed with the expansion of it. They do so to the point that the whole point of the law given in the first place is totally lost. Can we see that? Are you guys tracking with me with that? The whole point of the law is lost at this point. Now it's about the rules. The rules have become the idol instead of a gift to lead them to the heart of their father, right? Thanks, Mockets. Yeah. What was a gift of rest and staying connected to Yahweh became a way to earn God's favor. This is who the Pharisees are when we meet them in this passage. They're given a bad rap, but here's the thing. This is the tradition that's been passed on to them. This has been given them. 
This is how the way that they were raised and the way that they grew up and the way that they were taught. And so all of the Pharisees aren't bad, but what Jesus is doing is he's coming in and he's challenging the way that they understood this. And he's offering to them a new understanding of it. What the Pharisees choose to do with that is up to each and every individual, right? And so we see that a lot of these passages where there's tension, it will say some of the Pharisees. Because some of them, we know from history, they ended up hearing from Jesus and believing. So I just, I sometimes get a, I feel a little bit bad for the Pharisees, so I just wanted to make that plug, that they're not necessarily all bad. But we can see what's happened, right? So the emphasis is on the specifics of what is allowed and what is not allowed, rather than the heart behind it. Jesus is trying to clarify for them to offer them freedom from something that is a gift. Can you imagine the enormous weight of living every single day thinking, does this violate a law? Does this violate a law? Does this violate a law? Am I violating the law? And then you've got these Pharisees with their whistles around, blowing the whistle at you all the time. You're like, ah, does that feel heavy? Does that feel like something where you're like, you know what? I super want to be Jewish. I'm so jealous of the God of the Israelites. Because they are living these free lives. No, it felt oppressive. Doesn't that mirror sometimes with the way Christianity is represented in our culture? Like, oh gosh, they're not allowed to drink, and they're not allowed to listen to music, and they're not allowed to do anything fun. They just have to sit at home and do Bible studies. Ugh. Sign me up. I really want to be a Christian. Sometimes that's how it's portrayed, right? As a teenager... That's what I, I thought I was in. I was like, well, I'm in it, so I guess I just have to do Bible studies and, and not listen to secular music, and these are the rules, right? What, Je- what happens when Jesus enters into this narrative is he's, he's not telling them, you're holding too strict of a view of the Sabbath, you need to be more liberal. It's not what he's doing. He's saying, you're not getting it at all. He's not saying, the, the law doesn't matter, the Sabbath isn't anything. He's not abolishing it. He's fulfilling it. He's saying, I'm going to give you the way that it was intended to be because in a little while, when I take all of your sins on the cross, you're no longer going to be bound to the law. You're under grace. I'm going to teach you how to live out Sabbath when it doesn't look like a rule. It looks like a gift. And so he tells them, he's, he's trying to show them, you're missing the point altogether. And so if we look back at the passage... Now that we have all of this information, we understand a bit more about what the Sabbath is, right? I hope. I'm sorry. I hope we do. We understand a little bit more about who the Pharisees are and who Jesus is at this time. Now when we look back at this passage, something different is going on here. In the first episode on the Sabbath, they're walking, and they're walking by this field, and they're hungry, and they pick some grain, and they get the stuff off with their hands, and they eat it. The whistleblowers are there. Why are you guys doing what's not allowed on the Sabbath? That's not allowed. Based on the expanded view of the law that they had done, that's not not allowed. Jesus tells this story about David who is hiding from Saul and he goes into the tabernacle and him and his men are starving and they're like, can we eat the bread of the presence, which is not allowed to be eaten? And the priest says, have you guys kept yourselves pure? And they're like, yes. And he's like, okay, eat this. And Jesus is like, your precious King David from the glory days, remember when he did something that was not allowed? Because the bread of the presence wasn't about that. You're missing the point of the bread of the presence. And he uses that as an example of 
You're missing the point. It's not, it's not a rule for the sake of being a rule. It's a rule with the heart and a purpose and a, and, and a direction behind it to draw you into the heart of the Father. And then in the second episode, we see that he's teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and that word for watching, the, the, the Pharisees are watching him. That word is mo- much more than just a visual word. It means spying on. They're watching and wait, waiting for him to see, oh, there's a guy who needs healing here. You're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath unless it's life-threatening. Why? Because a doctor, that's work. For a doctor, if you heal someone on the Sabbath, you're working. And so they're like, this guy's a withered hand. That's not life-threatening. You can't heal him. That's work. It's easy from our perspective to be like, that's ridiculous, right? And so Jesus looks around at them And he says, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? Is it lawful to save a life or destroy a life? He only gives two options. There's an opportunity for me to do good here. The Sabbath is not about, I'm not allowed to do this one act. The Sabbath is about a gift of rest from the Father. And included in that is doing good. And so Jesus heals him. But I love how Jesus does this. Jesus is trying to... To, to cause more problems and create more problems. He doesn't like go over and like start like massaging the hand and working on it. He just speaks and is like, be healed. And it happens. He does it without working. And yet technically, by the letter of the law, because a man was healed who was not life-threatening, Jesus worked. But he didn't do anything. He just spoke, be healed. And so they are infuriated. They're like, this guy is going against everything that we have been doing. And yet, we can't trap him because he didn't work. Do you see how brilliant Jesus is? Here's why. The point of the law isn't to win blessing or favor. The point of following the rules or living life God's way is not because maybe if you get it right and you do it right, maybe then God will give you that thing that you don't have that you feel like he's withholding from you. It's not the point. It's not the point of following God. The point isn't to get it right and be good. For some of us, we just want to be good. I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to be bad. I just want to be good. So we try so hard to follow follow the law and just be good. And Jesus is saying, I've already made you good enough. Because of who I am, not because of who you are. It's not about being good. God's heart from the beginning to the end is to save humans and restore them to himself. His heart is to save you from the things that weigh you down, the things that rob your heart of joy and peace and all of the fruits of the Spirit. He wants to save you from all of the things that push you away from him. We know there are certain things that we do, certain seasons that we allow ourselves to sit in and live in, and we know that it keeps us from God because we feel guilty and we feel shameful, and so we go like this. And, and, and Jesus is wanting constantly to draw us to himself because we were created for a relationship with him. 
He knows that being human in the fullest term means being a human in relationship with God. And so he is trying to make us more of who we were already created to be. By saving us from sin, by teaching us how to stay away from it, and by drawing us to himself. The reward of following Jesus is not self-righteousness or piety or holiness for the sake of righteousness or piety or holiness. The point is that the more righteous we are because we are leaning into the things of God and leaning away from the things of sin, the closer we get to God. The more intimate we are able to be in relationship with him because the weight of sin and guilt and shame is no longer a part of the situation, right? The Jews thought if they could just keep the laws perfectly enough, God would follow through on the promise to bring a Messiah and to save Israel from the foreign enemies that oppressed them and return to them their former glory. Those good old days of David. If they could just be good enough, God would give them favor and give them what they wanted. But like Kenny talked about last week, they want to sew on this new patch of Jesus onto old cloth, and it doesn't fit. They want to add Jesus. They liked Jesus when he was a dynamic teacher and doing these weird miracles. They liked him. But they wanted to add him to what they were doing. And Jesus is like, I'm not adding to what you're doing because you're getting it wrong. I'm going to tell you the new way of doing it. And that's hard for them like it's hard for us. What Jesus is doing is saying this was never about Israel being glorious for the sake of Israel being glorious. What he's saying to us is this isn't about you getting it right so that you can have the best life possible. What Jesus is saying is the whole point of Israel was for the world to be blessed through it. And so the Messiah will come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he will do all of the things he said he will do. He will crush their enemies under his feet. And he will restore glory. But it is not going to be the glory of Israel. It's going to be the glory of the kingdom of heaven. He's going to do all of the things he promised to do. But it's going to look different because they've had tunnel vision on this one goal of earning the favor of God to restore the glory of Israel. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to do it your way because you're missing the point. Jesus is providing a new and better way. The laws were meant to keep us from sin and to keep us close to God, but they were never going to make us righteous and they were never going to make us sinless. We cannot, none of us can keep the law perfectly. And so Jesus came and he took the penalty for us and he made a new way. We are no longer judged by whether or not we keep the law perfectly. We're judged by whether or not we have the righteousness of Christ on us. That doesn't mean the law doesn't matter. Why? If we're no longer required to keep the law, why does the law matter now? Because the law has always been helping humans stay away from sin and draw near to God. And so if we are now new in Christ, I don't, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Guess what grace allows me to do? Cry out and say, I'm incapable of keeping the law, and yet you still offer it to me so that I can draw near to you and stay away from the stuff that's bad for me. This is why the psalmist will often talk about how he delights in the law of God, how he loves it, how he wants to meditate on it and savor it in his mouth. 
as men and women who want to follow Jesus, we should desire to know what is sin? What is wisdom here? I want it because I believe you. Because I believe that you are a father who is good and wants to keep me from the things that are bad for me and wants to draw me nearer to yourself because that's where I was created to be. And so, of course, the law matters. But for such a different reason. Can we see that? I'm going to invite the worship team up. This series is called Jesus, uh, The Greater Reward. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. The series is called The Greater Reward. The point of all of the law and the prophets and all of the Old Testament is constantly pointing to this fulfillment that will come in Christ. The whole Old Testament, they're looking forward to this promise. The law was never going to make them righteous. And they were looking forward to a day when they would be made righteous through the Messiah. We get to look back on it and know it already happened. And it changes the way that we understand God's law. We started this with talking about how many, how many of us have things that our parents told us to do when we were younger that we didn't realize were a gift until we got older. The mark of being able to look at the law of God and see beauty and love and an invitation and a gift is maturity and knowing who our Father is and knowing what his heart is. And so when Jesus addresses the Sabbath in this situation, the point of the Sabbath is a way of structuring rhythm of your life around God. Intentionally choosing, I am going to have a Sabbath. I'm going to have a sacred time and space, not because it's a law, but because I believe that God can do more in my sitting still than I could do in my striving. And so we trust him with our time. It's a way of building our lives around him. And it's a gift from God. And so as we look at our lives and we evaluate, oftentimes if you're anything like me, I can be really black and white. And I want to evaluate, is this, is this wrong or right? Is this wrong or right? Is this a sin or is this not a sin? And I'm going to tell you right now, if the only way you're evaluating your behavior and your choices and your attitude and your heart is, is this sin or not sin? I'm telling you, you are missing a gift. Because sometimes things aren't sin, but they're incredibly unwise. Right? Something I always encourage uh, women that I meet with that I'm discipling to do is don't evaluate whether or not something is right or wrong. Evaluate whether it's wise or unwise. Because right or wrong is, is the level of the law. Of, well, this isn't sin, so it's fine. And yet that looks so different based on circumstances. And so we want to evaluate, is this wise or unwise? Is this helpful? Is this drawing me closer to God? Some of you have things that take your time and your passion and your energy that are not wrong. But are they drawing you closer to God? Have they become an idol? Is there some reordering of your heart that needs to happen? So as we move into a time of worship... My hope is that we can see that God is so good and so loving and so trustworthy that when he calls us to stay away from things, 
we begin to view those things as gifts. What a gift to be told what's bad for us. You're not a good parent if you don't tell your kid that if they touch the the flame, they're going to get burned. You're a terrible parent. You are a great parent if you tell your kid that they're going to get burned. My hope is that as we grow in maturity in our walks with God, we begin to stop looking at things that we do and don't do as right and wrong and black and white. We begin to see the heart behind why things are damaging for us. Some of you have no problem with social media. Some of you, it might as well be the 11th commandment to stay away from it. (laughs) But when our hearts are longing to know, what is God saying to me? What are the areas of my heart and my life that he is trying to reform and transform? We start to grow into maturity. He starts to invite us into something deeper and shows us a new way that doesn't look like keeping all of the rules. It looks like living in freedom with the God who loves you and knows you and created you and keeps inviting you deeper. Amen? Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.